Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Today on the program, we continue our series on mass shootings in America by asking how the media should respond. Our guests include Tom Teeves, whose son Alex was killed in the mass shooting in Aurora, Colorado. Teeves is a founder of No Notoriety, a campaign that urges news outlets to limit how much they use a gunman's name and photograph. Tom Teeves says that the hope is to curb shootings by denying many perpetrators what they want, which is fame. We bring in Tom Teeves. So welcome to the program. Thank you. I appreciate you uh, being on the program. We're also speaking with Deseret News reporter Chandra Johnson. She's uh, authored several recent articles on various aspects of uh, mass shootings, including one on how, how the media is responding or should respond. to Chandra Johnson, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. Let's uh, start with uh, Tom Teeves. Um, I, it's, I'm sure it's still painful to talk about your experience, but you, you do have a mission that you're, that you're on here. I, I wonder if you could uh, talk a little bit about... Uh, first of all, tell us about your son. Oh, love to tell you about Alex. He was um, just graduated uh, getting his master's degree in psychology. Um had just um, really found the love of his life after, you know, a lot, a lot of years of looking for, I think, or they looking for each other. Um, he was just a good kid. He was one of those kids. He was, a, he was a man. He wasn't a kid, but he was 24 when he was murdered. Um, you know, and he, uh, he was just one of these people that everybody liked. He, liked, he brought people together. Um, you know, it, he had, we ended up having three funerals. One of them was very quiet in, uh, in, um, Denver, but we didn't live in Denver. We lived in Phoenix and, uh, we had lived half his life in New Jersey and roughly 1500 people came to both funerals. So I think, you know, that, that, that's just the kind of kid he was. I mean, he was just, uh, somebody who brought people together. Um, he's spent his whole life trying to learn how to help people. He was just getting ready to go back to school to get his uh, physical therapy license because his goal was to he, he had his counseling license so he wanted to be able to help people by both uh, physically and mentally you know and at the age of 24 he had to make a decision of whether he lives or his girlfriend lived and he chose to let her live I don't know how many people in your listening audience can honestly say they would make that decision um, and we miss him every day. It, it's something that never goes away. And this type of year, this time of the year, well, all the times are hard, but this time's especially hard because everywhere you go, you see images of happy families, and you know we'll never be a family again. We'll hopefully hold it together. But you know, he was our firstborn son, and you know we'll never. The only way we'll get to see him is live a good life and hopefully go see him in heaven. Hmm. Well, I'm I'm sorry for your loss. Um, and uh, as you've said, um, many more people know the name of the the shooter there, the killer, than know the name of your son. Oh, it's unequivocal. When it's, you know we've been, you know, Karen and I've been fighting this fight since the since the first day because we were in. We were on vacation, or we were just starting our vacation, and the only information we could get, because you couldn't get anybody on the telephone, and, and it was understandable. I mean, it was 
basically, uh, if you go through the the transcripts of the trial, you know, you're going to see grown, hardened police officers crying. That's how bad this scene was. This thing took an automatic rifle and shot people at will. He shot a six-year-old girl. So you can understand why, that it was just complete insanity at the police department. There was no way to get anybody on the phone. You couldn't get anybody on the hospitals on the phone. So then, you know, we're trying to get ourselves back to where, um, back to, uh, well, actually back to Denver. And all, all we had was the, the news to try to get something out of it. And all you saw was pictures of that thing, pictures of that thing. No pictures of the victims, just pictures of that thing. And when he went to the trial, it actually said that it wanted fame, that, that, that it knew it couldn't make a, a case for itself in science, so it was going to make a name for itself by killing people. And that's a, that's a material and consistent message that these things do. And we have to take it away from them. You know, we talk about all the different things that go into these mass shootings. But the reality is mental health is a very complicated issue. The gun issue is complicated and very emotional issue. The one piece you can fix today is just to do the right thing from a media perspective, because this doesn't take an act of Congress. It takes an act of conscience. And the media has to recognize that they have a responsibility to be responsible. And one of the tenets, from my understanding, and I'm not in the media, but I'm starting to know more than I want to know about them, is to do no harm. The, one of the other things that the media always talks about is, well, we have to do the research. Well, a couple of observations on that. Number one, the research leads you time and time and time again, over and over again, back to one of their major motivations was to be famous. So you're going to do the research and then ignore it. The other argument I would make is if the media was that interested in doing the research, because I'm making the premise that that's just an excuse so that they can get ratings and drive revenue, but if they were that interested in doing the research, most of these things are suicidal. Most of these, when they do this, they know they're not going to go out, that they're going to kill themselves. One didn't kill itself, the one that killed my son. So you had five months to do the research in that courtroom. And except for the first day and the day of the verdicts, there weren't a whole lot of reporters in the courtroom. Mm. So yeah. a lot of that stuff rings pretty hollow. Right. Let me turn to uh, Chandra Johnson. You've you've uh, talked to uh, you know many people for this for this article on on the media, and I wonder this uh, this premise. You, you I know you did talk to some experts who who did talk about what Mr. Teves was talking about there that uh, some of the shooters at least. Um, some experts talk about a, a theater. They 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 have this theater. They they plan meticulously, and there is a theater in their mind of how this is going to turn out. And part of it, I think, is is the fame that that they want. 
Is, uh, that's right. Yes, that's exactly what I found in my research as well, is that um, what Tom is saying and what he and Karen have worked toward as far as eliminating the notoriety angle within the media, um, that's also what I found, is that a lot of these shooters act um, out of, you know, the feeling that um, it's almost like a cultural script, that if I carried this out in a certain way, I'm going to be rewarded uh, by being remembered. Mm -hmm. And uh, another, I guess, myth is that, as I was reading, that um, the, the, the killers are insane in, in a kind of a clinical term. The, the, I guess they're, they're obviously problems, but a lot of the killers apparently are pretty organized, planned for a long period of time. This is not spontaneous at all. I agree, yeah. I mean, I, I don't feel like these are necessarily uh, random events. And, of course, um, shootings differ in their circumstances, as we know. Um, but I do think, uh, you know, we have to be careful when we are talking about the mental health angle because that is, as Tom rightly said, um, a complicated issue. Um, but that is something that I do think the media could do better as someone in the media um, you know, we tend to cover these things, and then, you know, they, they do, they disappear. And I think if we have any role to play um, in ending these sorts of shootings, uh, we owe it to ourselves and to the public to follow them through and demand more research, whether it be on an individual case or if we're talking about these uh, as kind of a cultural phenomenon. What do you think that some have written and theorized that the, the media gets into a frenzy in part these days because of a competition with social media. Social media can just put stuff out there, you know, not filtered. The media is trying to catch up or, com or compete. I don't know what you think. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I think that struggle is very real. Um, and does that, is that a worthy excuse? I mean, I, I don't know that it is. Um, but I do feel like that's a reality. Uh, that's a reality. And, we really need to ask ourselves as journalists um, what we are doing when we cover these uh, sorts of situations. And, you know, we need to make sure that we get it right. Um, and in my course of talking uh, with Tom and Karen, actually, you know, they pointed out and made a point that, you know, mistakes were made, uh, particularly uh, in Newtown. Um, at, with the Sandy Hook shooting, there was an erroneous um, identification. And, yes, those sorts of things do come out on Twitter, and they do come out on Facebook. But at the end of the day, we need to remember, kind of get a hold of ourselves and remember that people are going to come to us for the right information. So we owe it to everyone to get it right and to be responsible. Tom Teeves, uh, part of the strategy here, I, I believe, is to prevent future shootings, right? And, and uh, just letting potential future shooters know, I guess, that they're not going to have that script. Their name's not going to be out there. They're not going to become famous. Let, let me read you a quote. And it starts with, I have noticed that so many people like him are all alone and un unknown. Yet when they spill a little blood, the whole world knows who they are. A man who was known by no one is now known by everyone. His face splashed across every screen. His name across the lips of every person on the planet. All in the course of one day. Seems the more people you kill the more you're in the limelight. You know who said that? No. The Umpqua killer, before he killed people. Mm. Yeah. If you look historically, every one of, and, and again, we're talking about, when you're talking about mass shooting, 
we're talking about a very small slice of mass shootings. We're talking about random rampage killings. Because you could, you could, you know, when they give you numbers on mass shootings and they'll say there's, I don't know, 300 or 370 this year, there's different ways to count them. If somebody goes and shoots five people in a gangland shooting, that has nothing to do with what we're talking about, to be quite frank. That's, that person wasn't motivated because they want to be on the front page of the paper. They don't want anybody to know them. They, that was motivated by either money or revenge. But when you look at the, the, the Virginia Tech murderer, was in, said he was inspired by Columbine. The Northern Illinois University murder studied Virginia Tech and Columbine. The Sandy Hook murderer researched the Northern Illinois killer, Columbine, and the Aurora shooters and other rampage shooters. The Aurora shooter said he felt he couldn't make a mark on the world with science but could become famous by blowing people up. And just to take it a different level, because this, this sickness, whatever it is, this quest for fame goes, there wasn't a ton of coverage on the day the trial started. There was at the end, and at the end there were two theater attacks almost immediately following that. You know why there wasn't a bunch of tri- coverage? But even though there were tons of media there when the trial first started, what happened on the day the trial started? You're not going to get it. But mm. the German wings pilot crashed a jetliner into the Alps, killing 150 people on board, and he said, one day I will do something that will change the system, and then everyone will know my name and remember it. When you... This is... It's so obvious... I would make the argument, and I did make it to reliable sources on CNN, you could make the argument that the media is doing this on purpose because it gives them compelling free content, except it kills our children. Hmm. Let me uh, let me turn back to, uh, to Chandra Johnson. Um, I want to get a, a, you know, a few of the other people that you talked to. Uh, one, one study that buttresses uh, no notoriety and, and what they're trying to do uh, you cite the, there's a study in Vienna. I wonder if you talk a bit about this. This had to do with suicides. There was a yes, cluster uh, of suicides. I'm sorry? There was a cluster of suicides. I wonder if you talk about yes, that. Yes, yes. Uh, there were a cluster of suicides in the late 80s, I believe. Um, and what they had found was that as the media had begun to cover them because they took place in public, um, it inspired more. Uh, it inspired more people who were, you know, whether they were feeling depressed or, you know, were just kind of needing help and not getting it for whatever reason, um, chose the trains uh, to as a method of suicide. And then it was kind of like this cycle. So the media would cover it, and then it would inspire more, and then the media would keep covering it, and it would inspire more. So um, what happened there was kind of a unique experiment and the very kind of thing that I think Tom is talking about, where... Um, the media stopped covering uh, and adopted as, you know, a kind of a tenant of practice not to cover these things, um, except in a way that, that just let people know that it happened. So there were no, you know, kind of gory details, for lack of a better term, or um, they didn't necessarily uh, cover it more than once. They changed their approach, and the suicide rate in Vienna plummeted in the wake of it. And what happened then was the CDC uh, did an analysis 
of that research, and it inspired uh, News Outlets here to adopt a similar uh, stance on suicide. Hmm. So I think that this is kind of evidence that this sort of approach can work and can help save lives, and we should be asking ourselves these questions at the very least. Let's take a break. When we come back more with Tom Teves, uh, he and his wife Karen have uh, have founded No Notoriety, this campaign that urges news outlets to limit how much they use a gunman's name and photograph. He says the hope is to curb shootings by denying many perpetrators what they want, which is fame. We're also speaking with Deseret News reporter Chandra Johnson. Uh, you can find uh, her series of articles on mass shootings uh, in the Deseret News in their national edition. Uh, we want to know what you think. We're talking about the media and mass shootings today. And the number is 1-800-826-1495, 1-800-826-1495. You can reach us by email to upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com. More following the break. The Be Well Moment is made possible by the USU Department of Human Resources Wellness Program at usu.edu hr. Stress is what you feel when you have to handle more than you are used to. When you are stressed, your body responds as though you are in danger. It makes hormones that speed up your heart, make you breathe faster, and give you a burst of energy. This is called the fight-or-flight stress response. Stress is normal, but if it happens too often or lasts too long, it can have bad effects. It can be linked to headaches, upset stomach, back pain, and trouble sleeping. It can weaken your immune system, making it harder to fight off disease. You probably can't delete all stress from your life, but you can get better at managing your stress. Start a stress journal, ask for help when you need it, do some deep breathing exercises, and get some exercise. Find something that works for you and enjoy this life you've been given. This is Angela Helm for the Be Well program at Utah State University. Be well, Utah. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. We are continuing our series on mass shootings in America. We're asking how the media should respond. We're talking with Deseret News reporter Chandra Johnson. You can find her series of articles on mass shootings in the Desert News National Edition. We're also talking with Tom Teves, along with his wife Karen, that has founded No Notoriety, a campaign that urges news outlets to limit how much they use a gunman's name and a photograph. We want to know what you think. The toll-free number is 1-800-826-1495. The email is upraxcess at uh, gmail.com. Let me start this segment with Chandra Johnson. You talked, uh, Chandra, with at least a couple of journalists, or cited them, who are, are skeptical of, of uh, the need for the media, or, or they're pushing back on this idea that's, that's propounded by no notoriety. They're saying the journalists should be free to report anything and everything. Yes. Uh, in the wake of a lot of these shootings, there there is, you know, kind of a call, I think, from the public of, about whether or not the media should or should not publish the name and picture of a shooter or, um, you know, how much that should or shouldn't be done. And I think there are a lot of journalists out there who feel that it's kind of a slippery slope and that if we start doing that, then we are more or less catering um, to the mindset of a madman. Um, And I think uh, that that is certainly a valid point. But I think at this point when we're talking about gun violence in the way that we are and how, you know, prevalent it's become. Um, I think that 
we really need to start at least entertaining uh, the other side of the conversation, which is what Tom obviously is working toward. Uh, Tom Teams, I wonder what you, and I'm sure you've heard, you know, some of this pushback. What What do you say? Um, with all due respect, I think it's just an excuse. The media has changed how it reports over the years. They don't report on sexual assault victims. They, they, they as, as we talked about, there, there was a whole suicide issue. They don't talk about people who died of AIDS. They don't talk about juvenile names or juvenile perpetrators. Interestingly enough, when American journalist was taken, was taken hostage by the name of Richard Engel, the media all agreed not to report the situation for his safety. The media wouldn't show terrorists, terrorists how to make a nuclear bomb. This can be done easily. We just have to stop with the excuses. People are dying every day. We just keep doing it on some ethical reason that's, that holds no water. They're, they're trying to get a higher ground that doesn't exist. Uh, I, want, I want to, uh, I'm going to ask you down the road how, what success you're having, but uh, just one more thing on this. Uh, I found this on the No Notoriety Facebook page. There's an interesting, um, you know, a lot of people agreeing with you, of course. Uh, there was one responder here who had an interesting point, and then there was a lot of pushback from, from other readers. Uh, his name is Raphael. Uh, he said, he's talking about San Bernardino. He says, these are terrorists. We need to see the enemy, he said. And then other, you know, so I wonder what your response is, Tom Teeves. Uh, we need, we need yeah, to know the enemy, we need to see to the enemy. Careful. We, the, the San Bernardino thing, there's a difference in this. I, I don't want to bring San Bernardino in. Uh, you know, I think everybody's sick of seeing those two things, quite frankly. How many times do we have to see their faces? Well, let's show them dead if we're going to show them at all, okay? But that's a different thing. This is rampage mass killers. People or things, because once you cross that line, I don't think you're a person anymore, quite frankly, from my perspective, but we can have that argument. That go and kill people for absolutely no reason just to make themselves famous. When, when you get into terrorism, that's a whole different thing. I don't, I don't disagree that we shouldn't be showing them, but that's not what I'm saying here. I'm not, I don't want to get into that argument. This is a very small slice of what's reported, and it's a material reason why these shootings continue to occur. And the University of Arizona did a study and proved that there's a contagion effect. So, again, I don't know how we can still think from the media that we're going to take the, the higher moral ground when it doesn't exist with this particular subject. And, again, it becomes easy if you don't want to do it to try to mix it in with a whole bunch of other things. But this, to me, is a single advocacy issue. And we have to stop giving these things that go out. You know, they, they live in their mommy's basement. They don't even have a job most of the time. They're failures at life because they can't just do what everybody else, including the three of us on this phone, did and went and made something out of our lives and made the community better. Their only hope for fame, which is kind of weird that our society is so fame-driven, all of the Kardashians and that whole deal, but their only, their only hope is to go out and kill a bunch of people that they don't even know. So let's not confuse the two. And again, my wife gets mad at the, the whole... Um, the whole um, terrorist thing, and I don't disagree with her, but let's not, I don't think that needs to get mixed in here. This is a very, very single subject.
I agree. I don't want to get bogged down on uh, San Bernardino or the or the terrorism, but but I have had some some people have commented to this show uh, that they consider any act of mass shooting to be you know a terrorist act. There's, there's, there's a sense of that's, terrorist. That's act. completely true. But uh, their motivation is some type of worship to I think a god that doesn't exist because. If you talk to people who are Muslims and actually practice it, they can't understand it either. So, yeah, well, their motivation is different. It isn't to get on the front page of the USA Today. But the ones that we're talking about that are, are doing it, their motivation is clearly fame or infamous. Yeah, yeah, or 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 the uh, you know the the original definition of notorious which which has a negative connotation um That's exactly right. uh chandra johnson what what other perspectives have you have you found on on this idea that uh, that some of the shooters at least that's their goal is fame and uh and this idea that that we ought not to be reporting you know showing faces uh showing uh you know giving their propaganda giving their goals out um, I guess on the other side, yeah. some people would say, well, some of this needs to be out there to help law enforcement. I don't know if you, have you heard that? Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I understand, you know, that I spoke to a lot of uh, experts, particularly sociologists who have studied uh, Columbine very closely, and they say that there absolutely is no doubt um, that one of the reasons that a lot of these people uh, commit these mass shootings is for fame and for notoriety. Um but at the same time, uh, I do think that we need to recognize that there are other elements at play. Um, mental health, uh, obviously, is kind of a buzzword whenever we're talking about these things. But there are specific things within that sort of umbrella term of mental health that don't look at, I, I think, enough closely, um, particularly when we're, when we're talking about media coverage. Um, when I started just barely digging into this issue, you know, it was sort of opened up this whole other world of, you know, this is a this is a huge problem that spans out of field. Uh, you know, it's it's obviously the political issue of guns, it's mental health, but within that we can look at specific problems that can help solve this problem or at least prevent future death. And media coverage is one of the areas that we can and should look at. Because a lot of these problems can't be solved overnight. Um, for example, one of the main things that I found in my research that I was not aware of is that if someone is struggling with mental health issues and they are uh, maybe feelings of violence or aggression, which, by the way, is a very, very fractional um, amount of mentally ill people, um, they don't necessarily have anywhere to go because of deinstitutionalization during the Reagan era. Um, you know, we're talking about a huge lack of resources. Is that an excuse for any of this violence? Absolutely not. Um, but it is kind of a factor. The other interesting thing is, is that um, the Centers for Disease Control, you know, the, the agency that arguably researches how and why we die, can't conduct um, much research at all on guns and gun violence and gun death. So if there is a pattern here at all, we're missing it. And we're missing it because we can't ask the questions that need to be asked. Um, 
I do think that the media has, you know, kind of struggled to get this right. And as someone who's, you know, worked at a daily newspaper and understands kind of the whole process, it can be hard to know what you're looking at when it's unfolding in front of you. And, you know, we have talked about, um, you know, social media's kind of role in this kind of, you know, feeling that we're competing with the world at large. And that is real, as we said. But, you know, I think that we need to look at this more closely because if the media is culpable at all in these shootings, we really need to ask ourselves how we can change. And as Tom said, um, you know, it is something, it's pretty much the only thing that we can change right now, today. Yeah, that's a, that's a point that uh, Notoriety makes as well. Uh, if you just joined us, we are talking about the media and uh, and mass shootings. It's part of our series um, the first program last week, we did, it was an open forum. Most of our listeners wanted to talk about uh, guns, and so that was the focus there. Um, and we're talking with uh, Tom Teves, who is a founder of No Notoriety. That's a campaign that urges news outlets to limit how much they use a gunman's name and photograph, denying perpetrators what they want, which is uh, fame. Uh, we're also speaking with Deseret News reporter Chandra Johnson. You can find her series of articles on this issue uh, at the Deseret News National Edition. And you're welcome to join the conversation at 1-800-826-1495. And you can also join us at upraxcess at gmail.com. Tom Teves, uh, it seems like your campaign is getting some traction. I, I, I did hear that the, I believe it was the sheriff in the Umpqua shootings uh, expressing his preference that, uh, that the, the shooter's name and image not be out there. Um, yeah, that's that's correct, and it's getting a lot of traction. And, and a couple of a couple of comments. You made the comment about you know you have to help law enforcement. Well, let's let's look at what law enforcement is saying. The FBI is, has a "Don't Name Them" campaign. The International Police Association is, supports us and has signed on with no notoriety. The major city chiefs supports us and has signed on with no notoriety. Alert, which is the Advanced Law Enforcement Rapid Response Team, who trains law enforcement on how to respond to active shooter situations, agree with no notoriety. As we spoke already, almost every psychologist and psychiatrist agrees with it. Such noted people like Park Teach, who's been studying this for years and years and years, agrees with that. And quite frankly, the people who have the most invested in this 70-plus victims and families of the nine high-profile mass murders from Columbine to Virginia Tech, Tucson, Aurora, Sandy Hook, Oak Creek, NIU, Alturas, all have all signed on that this is an issue. Mm. And what, you, what we really need to be asking ourselves is two things. One, why aren't we already doing this? And what if we had done this at Columbine? How many more people would now still be alive? I want to get into uh, what your specific recommendations uh, are. We've talked about, uh, you know, don't publish the, the names, uh, the photographs. What what else are you suggesting? So essentially, limit the name and likeness of the individual from reporting after initial identification, except, and this is important, when the alleged assailant is still at large and in doing so would aid in the assailant's capture. Refuse, refuse to broadcast published photos and and or self-serving statements, i.e. manifestos. I mean, 
no one would have read it before, so now we'll all read it because some punk went and shot a bunch of people. Made by the individual. Elevate the names and likenesses of all victims killed to send the message. Their, their lives are more important than the killers. Recognize that the prospect of infamy could serve as a motivating factor for other individuals to kill others and could inspire copycat crimes. Keep this responsibility in mind when reporting. Agree to promote data and analysis from experts in the mental health, public safety, and other relevant professions to support further steps to help eliminate the motivation behind mass murder. Recognize that the individual's name and likeness is irrelevant to media coverage of such acts, again, unless the assailant is at large. And that's a key piece, because the other argument you're going to get from the media is, well, we have to research this. No one's telling you not to research it. But the the facts are the facts. The thing's name and picture are irrelevant to the facts. Because someone was motivated by X, Y, and Z, wouldn't change if you changed its name. The reality is they are motivated by getting their name in the paper. They're, they're motivated by getting their name on CNN or Fox News. And we have to stop. Let's uh, take another break. When we come back, uh, more on this issue. And we're talking with uh, Tom Teves, uh, who is a founder of No Notoriety, a campaign urging news outlets to limit how much they use the gunman's name and photograph. We're also talking with Deseret News reporter Chandra Johnson. I want to pull out a little more broadly in the last segment. We'll hear a commentary uh, from a USU student uh, here at Utah State University, uh, Alex Tebner, um, who is from the San Bernardino area. Her commentary had to do with the media, how the media was covering uh, that. And I thought she made some interesting points. We'll hear that and get some comments on that. And uh, I'll ask uh, Chandra Johnson what media, and Tom Teams, what the media should be doing, what the role of the media should be is in an ideal world, where, where we ought to be getting to. Uh, more following the break. What is a subject that you are passionate about? What do you know more about than most? Utah Public Radio wants you to share your knowledge and become a source for the Utah Public Insight Network, a new collaborative effort between UPR and the Salt Lake Tribune. Information you share could help our reporters create more in-depth stories on the things that you care about or more meaningful discussion on our flagship program, Access Utah. Become a source today. Join UPIN. For more information, visit us online at upr.org. I love Christmas, and I love writing music for the Christmas season. Something about voices singing together, that for me is the magic of Christmas. Hi, I'm Eric Whitaker. Join me for Light and Gold from APM. Join us Wednesday night at 9 on Utah Public Radio. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. We've reached our last segment, uh, and today we are continuing our series on mass shootings in America by asking how the media should respond. We've uh, concentrated uh, much of the program on No Notoriety. That's a campaign that urges news outlets to limit how much they use a gunman's name and photograph. They say the hope is to curb shootings by denying many of the perpetrators what they want, which is uh, fame. 
Um, and uh, we were talking with Tom Teves, whose son Alex was killed in the mass shooting in Aurora, Colorado. He, along with his wife Karen, uh, founded No Notoriety. We're also speaking with Deseret News reporter Chandra Johnson. Her series of articles uh, on mass shootings can be found at the Deseret News National Edition. I want to uh, play this uh, short commentary, which uh, a Utah State University student came in and, and recorded uh, shortly after the shootings in San Bernardino. Uh, she's talking mainly here about the media. Uh, this is, uh, let me uh, pull her uh, name up here. I, I've lost the, uh, Alex Zellner. And I think I got her last name wrong before we went to break. So Alex Zellner. Uh, so, so this is her commentary. I was sitting in my psychology class at Utah State University on Wednesday, scrolling through Facebook when I saw an odd status from a friend. Stay safe out there, friends, and avoid watermen. I know every square inch of that street. I grew up not far from there. I took to Google, assuming it was a stolen car, a police pursuit, or maybe a robbery. Unfortunately, standard stuff for San Bernardino. I wish that's all it had been. I immediately texted my mom to make sure she was okay and to see if she knew what was going on. She, like the entire media, the police, the world, had no idea what was happening. All we knew was that two masked gunmen had walked into a Christmas party and opened fire. All we knew was that we were scared. When I got home, I sat idly for six straight hours watching the stream of a local TV station. My computer screen filled with familiar images, and my social media feeds exploded. My high school was on lockdown. My best friend's parents, who work for county, were on lockdown and terrified. My neighbor was in the building that was targeted. I wanted to know who did this. I wanted them to be captured, and I feel sad to admit it, but I wanted blood. I needed the media to help me make sense of what I was seeing, of what I was feeling, but all I was getting was, we don't know. As a media consumer, I was beyond frustrated. As a journalism student, though, I felt terrible for the reporters forced to cover this tragedy. Because this story wasn't in my backyard, it was in theirs, too. One journalist in particular continued to apologize because she was so distraught at the scene of a building where families were going to find the fate of their loved ones. She apologized to the audience for not being able to interview anyone going in or out because she saw the look of hatred and heartbreak on their faces when she approached with a media badge. But press conference after press conference passed, and my sympathy for the media turned to frustration. Journalist after journalist asked exactly the same question exactly the same way. Is this terrorism? Is this terrorism? Is this terrorism? That's when my hero showed up. Well, okay, not my hero but a journalist who actually seemed to care about the sorts of things I'd been taught that journalists are supposed to care about. She asked one spokesperson, are the doctors at the hospital having a hard time doing their job with the tragedy happening so close to home? Is the hospital staff okay? The poor spokesperson broke into tears. We are all affected by this, she said. This is our home. We all want information, but we do not have it. I sat in stunned silence in an appreciation of the humanity that had been exposed by a compassionate question. Please understand, I am aware that when no information is out there, journalists are desperate to find out the bare facts. But as a person sitting watching this, I felt like the media was supposed to be asking the questions I wanted to be asking. When they asked the same unanswerable questions, I felt like my voice was being silenced. Social media was no better. Twitter and Facebook were full of rumors and false reports. On Thursday, I learned that more than 330,000 people had tweeted hashtag pray for San Bernardino and spelled Bernardino wrong. I can't tell you how hard I laughed and cried in that moment. Whether you're a professional journalist or just someone with a Twitter account, I'd really like for you to know something. You have so much power. And in tragic moments like this, you're not just speaking to people like you, you're speaking to people like me. 
You are speaking to people who are worried about their friends and family members, to people who are heartbroken for their community, to people who are helpless and who are looking desperately to you for help. Please use your power wisely. Spread information that is true and that you know is true. Ask questions that need to be answered and accept that sometimes there are no answers. And when there are no answers, for God's sakes, ask other questions. In times like these, there are lots of stories to be told. And if you can give nothing else, offer comfort and compassion. Believe me when I say that in moments like these, that's something worthwhile. For Utah Public Radio, I'm Alex Zellner. So there's Alex Zellner, her, uh, her commentary. We'll uh, get response from our guests after we bring in our caller. Uh, Garth has called us. Garth, uh, glad you called. Go ahead with your question or comment. Okay, well, I, I really have a comment. I think that the, the uh, lack of notoriety would help a lot. But the other thing is I think that it needs to go beyond the crime scene. I think it needs to go to the judicial system also. We, we have these people go to trial, and there's all kinds of things, and then they're put in jail for six months, and then we reiterate it and bring in the witnesses, and then we do it all over again and again and again and again. I think there's too much notoriety in that part of the game also. I really, deep down in my heart, feel like this. I think that anyone who kills someone, I think, is insane, temporarily, perhaps, maybe longer. But in my opinion, the judicial system ought to act rapidly, and I think no notoriety, and I think most of those people ought to be put to death if they, in fact, have killed somebody. And that's how I feel about it. Anyway, I'll get off the line and listen to what your response is. Okay, thank you. Uh, thanks for calling, Garth. Uh, Garth called 1-800-826-1495. You can as well. You can reach us by email as well to upraxcess at gmail.com. Uh, I'll start with Tom Teeves. What, what do you think about Garth's comments? Well, to be quite frank, PG, I, I don't, I don't disagree with him. Um, again, I want, always want to keep my comments to. My comments are about a single subject advocacy, but having gone through the trial of one of these things, it's not good. Just, and I don't want to get into this conversation, but just to comment on his comment, there is no one who had less rights than the father of a murdered child during that murderer's trial. And I'll leave it at that. I could I could take a whole two hours telling you how badly the judicial system treats victims. Hmm. I, I, I thought we had made, I, you know, I thought we'd made progress in that area, but it, but not, not in your case, sounds like. Well, your ma- making progress and fixing it are two different things, right? Yeah, right. Right. I mean, you well, know, you need to lose thirty pounds, and you lose five. You you made progress, but you didn't fix it. Uh, let me get a comment from uh, Chandra Johnson, specifically uh, Garth's uh, comment on on um, the the media maybe ought to apply some of these principles well after the the killings, uh, to, including the you know the trial. I think obviously, uh, you know, that's extremely difficult if you're going to be in a courtroom. Um, but I don't think it's something that, you know, we, we couldn't do. We couldn't try. Um, I think that, uh, you know, Chris makes a great point when he says that we do need to follow through. Because, I, I mean, just from my perspective, I feel personally that, you know, the media could do a good jo- a better job of following through on these stories and seeing them through to their conclusion. I mean, how many people were following uh, the trial of the Aurora shooting um, until the shooter was given a life sentence? I I don't think very many people actually know the evidence that was presented or followed it very closely. And that, 
you know, I don't know whose fault that is or if it is anybody's fault, but I know that for my part as a journalist and the media in general, we could do a better job of it. Well, uh, Tom Teams, I want to get uh, maybe any reaction you had to Alex Zellner's uh, commentary and, and your experience with the media as, as a parent. Uh, your, your son was killed. What, what would you have hoped would have, uh, the media would have done better? I start with everything? Yeah, um, everything, okay. Here's, here it is in a nutshell, in my opinion. Alex was murdered on July 20th, 2012. Fast forward to the verdict, the, I think it happened in June, late June. CNN, when announcing the verdict, Now, keep in mind, this trial was live-streamed and on television, gavel-to-gavel. So there were plenty of photos, current photos. CNN's photo was a photo of this thing in its red hair and its black contacts and its military garb that was three years old. That's not journalism. That's sensationalism. And that's what it occurred and continues to occur. Uh, Chandra Johnson, I wonder if you have any uh, reaction to uh, Alex Zellner's uh, uh, commentary. This is a phenomenon that we see over and over, and it's, I guess it's competition to get the news, but uh, mm-hmm. I, think, I think a lot, a lot of us yeah, can I, resonate I, with what, I, what happened there. Yeah, I, I think she brings up some incredible points, um, and that's something that we try to focus on um, at the National Edition and at the Desert News is asking a more interesting question, asking a better question that is going to give your audience what they need, which is any information at all. And I do think she makes just an incredible point about the fact that when we don't know and we don't have um, even the most basic information, there are so many other stories to be told that I don't necessarily think um, a lot of outlets are focused on. Um, and I mean, in their defense, this is difficult. Um, you know, it's, it's really hard when a story is breaking and you're trying to figure out just the basics of how many people have been hurt, how many have been killed, uh, you know, the, the minutia of this. Um, it's difficult to keep a hold of that. But I mean, at the end of the day, that's our job. Um, it's our job to make sure that we make this, help people make sense of this, um, of this violence. And, and we have the added challenge of doing it as it's occurring. Um, so I think the main thing that we need to keep in mind as journalists is that we do need to ask questions and we do need to research the, you know, things that have led, led us to this point in a shooting. But that doesn't mean that we need to focus on just one angle of it. And it doesn't mean that we just need to focus on one person who is affected because, as she said, you know, we all are. Um, so there is no limit to the number of stories that we can do, the number of angles we can take, and the number of questions we can ask. And um, we shouldn't limit ourselves in that way. We should be able to, you know, ask a hospital worker, how are the doctors handling this? What's, what's happening? Um, you know, we shouldn't be afraid to speak to somebody like Tom and say, God, I'm so sorry you lost your son. What do you think needs to be done? You know, his voice is just as valid as 
anyone else's in this situation, and we should be seeking them out and asking those questions. Let me uh, read this email. This come in at upraxis at gmail.com. Uh, they say, I blame the media, not exclusively, of course, but this war between traditional journalism and online social media pseudo-journalism has to end. It's not a race, and it's certainly not an antidote. This flood of information is hurting far more than helping, and we're unintentionally glorifying every angle of this epidemic. We're forgetting the victims, focusing on perpetrators, spreading nationwide fear and anxiety, aimlessly debating over this element or that element, adding to a new hashtag for self-promotion, and inevitably sharing an upsetting amount of lies, rumors, uneducated opinions, and judgment, and it's given us nothing but more mass shootings. Something has to change, and I say it starts with the media. Uh, emailer that is uh, coming through upraxis at gmail.com. We just have a couple of uh, minutes left. Um, just want to give uh, give each of you a, a brief a final word on this. I'll start with uh, Chandra Johnson. Give Tom Teams the last word. Chandra, what uh, what do you think? You've done a series of articles on this. And you've you've done a lot of reporting. Mm-hmm. I don't know um, what what, you, what your final thought here is. My final thought is that I think we need to. Uh, ask more interesting questions, as we said, and that goes not just for journalists, but for researchers in the government. Um, You know, we do need to be able to understand this. Um, There is a compassionate way to do it that, you know, doesn't glorify of the, you know, less attractive aspects of these sorts of things and, frankly, the death. Um, But researchers also, if we ever hope to figure this out, um, the media may need to change, yes, but we also do need to change the mechanisms that are in place that are preventing us from getting to the bottom of that. Somewhere in here there is a pattern. Somewhere in here there is the answer as to why this keeps happening, and it may be one thing, it may be several things, but we will never know if the right people don't get to ask those questions. So we need more gun research, we need more mental health research, and you know maybe we do need more research on, on the media's role in this. Just about a minute left to Tom Teves. Uh, give you the last word. What do you What do you think? I think it's a it's a complicated problem, but with all problems, just like we talked about a few minutes ago about the, the a victim price, we need to start somewhere. I think the the most expedient way to start is with the media, and I think the media what I what I've gotten almost universally. As you 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 show them the data, because the data is overwhelming. There's no arguing the fact that it's a material impact, and we're being irresponsible in the media by glorifying these things. So that's a fact. And I think what happens though is you get into these conversations, I'll call them, and ultimately it leads to you're not going to tell us what to do. Well, I don't think I'm telling you what to do. I'm asking you to act responsible, do your job, be creative. There's no need in a, in a four-paragraph article to have the killer's name nine times or 15 times, and I can show you times where there's 47 mentions of the killer's name. Act responsible, save people's lives, and be creative. It's a very important job the media has in our society. No one's saying don't research the facts. What I'm saying is you research the facts and they keep coming up saying notoriety is a material factor and it's inconvenient for the media to have to become a little more creative and do things a little differently so they rush back to that no one can tell us what to do. And it's, it's quite honestly, go on YouTube, you'll see an editorial 
on USA Today on No Notoriety. And at the very end, the, the guy who's in charge, and you know, you guys know a lot more about the media than I do, but he's obviously the person in charge. He said, but we're not going to have them tell us what to do. So your arrogance killed my son, in a sense. And that's not okay. It's not okay in any sense of the word. And I don't think if most of the people in the media looked inside their heart and looked at the data, that they would do it once they recognized that it is wrong. Because I think inherently they're decent people. They're caught up in a race, basically at this point, to the bottom. And you need to stop that. We'll uh, leave it there. I just wanted to mention at the end here, uh, supporting principles of no notoriety, on the Facebook page they've shared a, a story. They say, remember the heroes, not the shooters. And they, they uh, remember Shannon Johnson, San Bernardino. He, uh, like uh, Tom Seeb's son Alex, he protected a, uh, a co-worker uh, from, the, from the gunfire. Just want to put that in at the end. Uh, the, the website for no notoriety is nonotoriety.com. And uh, Tom Teeves is uh, one of the founders of the organization. Tom Teeves, thank you. Thanks. And if you, if you really want to know the impact, everybody's giving this attention. No notoriety is me and Karen sitting in our living room on our laptops. It's not oh. funded. It's not supported. It's just us. And there's nothing in it for us other than to save your children. Mine's already dead. All right. And uh, so you can go to, go to the website and, uh, and help them out with their... With, with their uh, campaign. Uh, we also have been talking with Chandra Johnson. Her series of articles on mass shootings can be found at the Deseret News National Edition. Chandra Johnson, thank you. Thank you for having me. We'll continue this uh, series of uh, programs in January. Join us for our new book show tomorrow. Thanks for listening. This is Utah Public Radio, KUSR HD1 Logan, KUSK HD1 Vernal, KUSL HD1 Richfield, KUST HD1 Moab, KCEU Price, and KUSU FM HD1 Logan.